Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Today, we look at Paul's words to Titus about the importance of a warning. Uh, When my daughter Lily was little, she was a fearless climber. Uh, She would climb to the top of almost anything she could get her little toes and fingers into. Uh, Trees, buildings, fences, swing sets, anything. Uh, She would often climb trees and go higher than I felt comfortable with. Uh, I would watch her and warn her when she got to the point where I thought she was doing something dangerous. Uh, Lily, I don't want you to fall and get hurt, so be careful. I would give her a warning uh, because when you love someone and they're in danger, uh, you warn them. Uh, That's just what people do. You know, when a kid is in danger, parents don't say, "Uh, look at her playing on the edge of the cliff. What a dope. You'd think she would know better than that. (laughs) Uh, Parents talk directly to their kids. Get away from the cliff. And this is not just parents and children. Imagine a coach of a team who would never bring correction to one of his misbehaving players. Uh, Imagine a conductor who never confronts an off-key soprano. Uh, Imagine a a leader of a work group who never confronts someone who's not doing their fair share of the work. Imagine a CEO of a financial firm whose chief investment strategist pulled all of their money out of an investment just before it doubled in value and invested it instead in something that led to a significant loss. Imagine the CEO complaining to the receptionist and lamenting to his stockholders, but never actually having a conversation with the misguided employee. You see what I'm getting at? If any of these people genuinely care about the community they're part of, and if they have any heart at all for the well-being of the individual, they'll go directly to the person who has the problem and they'll have a fearlessly honest conversation. Uh, I don't want you to fall and get hurt, so be very careful. Uh, You're on a road that could lead to serious damage. You know, a warning is a precious gift. Uh, If this gift is withheld, teams deteriorate, performances fail, families break apart, companies go bankrupt. The lack of appropriate warnings is fatal to communities, and it can be lethal to individuals like you and me. And if that's true for teams and companies and choirs, it's exponentially greater when it comes to God's dream, the church. And this is the Apostle Paul's great concern in the passage we look at today. Uh, We'll start reading at Titus 1, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced. Now, that's strong language. They must be silenced. Uh, It's no wonder Paul, because Paul goes on to say, uh, whole households are being ruined. Families are being destroyed. Uh, Titus, you can't just stand by and watch that happen. I mean, that would be unthinkable. God's community is at stake. The community must be protected. And there are individuals who are in real bad shape, Titus. Uh, Look at verse 12. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, 
has said about them, the, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. These people have very, very serious character problems. Uh, the people in Crete are known for this. Even in our day, people who live in different areas are sometimes known for different faults. Uh, just consider a couple states in the US. I mean, think of uh, New York and uh, California. They're known for different profiles. Uh, see if you can guess which part of the country has which profile. Uh, obnoxious, aggressive, and overbearing. Uh, who fits that profile? New York. I mean, everyone knows that about New Yorkers. Okay, what about laid-back, pleasure-seeking, narcissistic wackos? <laughs> you may be listening from California and think that's kind of a compliment. Uh, that's the narcissistic part. Uh, well, Paul says this testimony is true. It was kind of known among the Greeks. In fact, the, the Greeks actually coined a word, uh, kritizo, which uh, meant to deceive because it was so associated with the island of, island, island of Crete. Now, Paul says, this is true. They have these problems. But this is very interesting in verse 13. Notice what he says. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. So sometimes it translates uh, into therefore. Sometimes it's used uh, as for this reason. Uh, this testimony is true. Therefore, here's what you should do. He doesn't say this is true, therefore give up on them. Uh, they're hopeless cases. They're, they'll never change. Don't expect them to be anything different, Titus. He doesn't say this is true, therefore gossip about them. You know, talk about their problems to sympathetic listeners under the guise of helping them to pray more intelligently. Uh, he doesn't say, Titus, it's none of your business. They have their faults. You know, they have their life. You have yours to each his own. Paul says, therefore, reprimand them sternly uh, to make them strong in the faith. Reprimand them sternly, Titus, because there's hope for them. They're not beyond the power of God. Therefore, reprimand them sternly, confront them, warn them. If you don't do this, Titus, it will mean disaster. In verse 11, Paul says, they must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. Then look what's gonna happen to individuals in verse 15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny them by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Individuals were being warped and destroyed. And in Titus 3.10, Paul talks about the whole church being in peril. A division, like divisive people, can break apart the whole church. And that's all the consequence of not giving a stern warning, not confronting someone when it's needed. You know, this emphasis on the importance of a warning is not just found in this one little letter. The New Testament is full of this language. Uh, Paul says in, uh, Colos in uh, Colossians 3.16 to the church at Colossae, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Uh, admonishment is a strong warning. Paul says to the church at Rome in Romans 15.14, uh, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent 
to admonish one another. He says, you're competent to admonish one another. Admonishment was expected by New Testament writers to be a standard operating procedure for the church. Without it, we can expect the same results as in Crete, endangered families, shipwrecked lives, and splintered churches. There's a famous passage in Matthew 18 about conflict resolution. Uh, you may have heard me teach it. It's Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if you want to read it sometime later. Uh, I've talked a lot about this crucial importance of going directly to the person that you have a conflict with and speaking face-to-face, one-on-one. And then if that doesn't work, although you try your best in a sincere heart and prayer, then you may need to seek help. And eventually you may need to involve someone from our elder board. Uh, It's important that we as a church learn to handle conflict according to the teachings of Jesus. Now, uh, the last time I taught Matthew 18, uh, I had one of our elders mention to me that there is a case when going directly to the person you have a conflict with would not be the wise way to approach the situation. And that would be when someone has been sexually abused or harassed, especially by someone in a position of power. Uh, It would not be appropriate to tell someone who was sexually abused or harassed to go to the perpetrator and follow Matthew 18. And I just want to be real clear on that. In that case, the appropriate thing would be to go directly to one of our elders who would help navigate that very sensitive situation in a way that honors the victim. Uh, Now, in all other situations where there's conflict, I want us to know and to practice Matthew 18. I want us to get to the point where the common language around Blue Oaks becomes, you two are in conflict. You need to do Matthew 18 with each other. If someone comes up to you with a complaint about someone else, I would love for your first response to be, have you gone to the other person face-to-face, one-on-one, and tried to resolve it? Uh, And if they haven't, then you refuse to listen to them gossip about that other person. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is there is a difference between conflict resolution, what Jesus teaches about in Matthew 18, and a strong warning or admonishment. And the difference is this. In admonishment, my obligation is to help you by warning you, even though we may not be in conflict at all. And this requires all of the skill involved in conflict management and then some. It adds the need for great humility as well. Admonishment is really kind of the broader category that uh, conflict resolution is just a subpart of. I need to be admonishing you and you need to be admonishing me when we see each other off track, even if we're not in conflict with each other at all. I may not have sinned against you personally, so we don't need to resolve anything between the two of us, but I have sinned and I need you to point it out to me and help me back on the right path. I don't think this happens nearly as much as it should these days. And I think it's because we live with such an individualistic attitude. Uh, The mindset of our culture is, you know, my life is my business, your life is your business. If we're in conflict, okay, then we need to confront each other. Other than that, you mind your own business, I'll mind my own business. And I wanna tell you that mindset is a departure from what was expected in the church in most of its history. Uh, That is not the mindset God wants to characterize his people, 
Your life is your business, mess it up if you want to. This week, I was amazed to read in the life of person after person, writer after writer in the early centuries of the church, how over and over again, church fathers and mothers wrote that admonishment is crucial to the health of the church. For a church to try to be a church without admonishment, they would say, it's unthinkable because growth in faith and grace simply won't happen apart from admonishment. And just like conflict resolution has a classic text in Matthew 18, there is also a classic text for admonishment. It's found in Galatians 6.1, and we'll look at it in just a moment. As Matt said, an individualistic attitude is not the mindset that should characterize God's people or his church. Even in Matthew 18, where Jesus addresses conflict resolution, he ends by saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. To gather with others counters those individualistic attitudes, and an admonishment is most effective when you have relational capital or influence in another person's life. That depth of influence is formed in and through relationships, knowing and being known. As much as we might think this should happen by attending a church service and sitting in the same room with others, relationships aren't formed in rows or watched online by yourself. Relationships require time spent with other like-minded people. We believe one of the best ways this happens is in smaller groups that meet regularly together, when you're not lost in a crowd, but known by name. Small groups are a place where you have the opportunity to pursue authentic relationships and experience spiritual growth. And honestly, life is just better when you're connected with others in person or online. If you'd like to know more about small groups, head to blueoakschurch.org, click the latest news, and scroll down to small group. Now let's rejoin Matt as we continue our look at the importance of a warning. All right, Galatians 6.1 is the classic text when it comes to admonishment. And this is what Paul writes. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So in the time that remains in this talk, I wanna go over the nuts and bolts of this business of admonishment, of giving a stern warning. And I need you to know I'm not an expert at this at all, uh, but I'm learning. Uh, And I want us to learn this because here's what I think. I think this is one of the greatest tests of our maturity as a church. Uh, To be able to appropriately, effectively admonish someone without judgmentalism or superiority or spiritual pride and to be able to receive it openly without getting defensive or crushed, I mean, that's going to be one of our greatest tests. So let's just walk through what Paul says to the church at Galatia about this. Uh, And the first question about this is, when is admonishment needed? Paul says, it's needed if another believer is overcome by some sin. Uh, Now, he doesn't say if someone has a personality quirk that you don't happen to like. Uh, it's, It's not needed when someone likes music I don't like or wears clothes that aren't my style. It's not a a nitpicking, fault-finding spirit behind this. He also doesn't say if anyone commits a sin. Because someone might be guilty of some wrongdoing, they might be aware of it, repent and change, and then they don't need this. He says, if someone is overcome, 
And the idea here is if a person is involved in misbehavior, uh, very possibly involving a pattern of misbehavior, a tendency or a habit strong enough to get noticed, but they appear not to recognize it. There's not a, an admission of guilt. Uh, there's not evidence of repentance. There's not movement toward change. They're overcome or they're stuck. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Maybe someone you know habitually neglects their children. You know, God has entrusted these little lives to them and they're just blowing past it and they don't even seem to be aware of it. Uh, maybe someone has a problem with anger and they're using words in a way that hurts people around them. Uh, they're not even aware uh, and they're not changing. Maybe you know someone whose pace of life is unhealthy and it's keeping them from becoming the kind of person God wants them to be. It's keeping them from intimacy with God. Maybe you know someone who on a fairly regular basis distorts the truth, embellishes, exaggerates, deceives to avoid pain or uh, to manipulate people and no one is calling them on it. No one has the courage or, or the love to confront them. Maybe you know someone who is just cold in their heart towards people or towards God. Maybe you know someone who's living in a habitual attitude of complaint or ingratitude and it's killing them relationally. Other people are starting to avoid them. No one is uh, talking to them. Admonishment is needed when someone I know and love, someone I care for is overcome or stuck. Now Paul says when someone is overcome, what should you do? Like, how should you respond? He says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. He doesn't say ignore what they do and maybe it'll go away, which is what happens way too often in churches. He doesn't say uh, complain about them to some, some close friends. Maybe they'll hear uh, what you've said secondhand and straighten up. He doesn't say, give up on them and be thankful that you're superior to them. He says, gently and humbly help that person. I'll tell you the flip side of this. When someone you know well and you love is stuck in sin and you see it, or at least have a good reason to suspect it, and you do nothing, you're violating community. Uh, Martin Luther said, my, my failure to instruct and rebuke my brother is actually an evidence of my anger. When admonishment is offered in the right spirit, at the right time, in the right way, it's an expression of love. Like withholding it is an expression of hostility. Because that's really saying, I don't think you're capable of anything better than what you're living right now. I don't think you're capable with the help of God in your life of growing beyond the sin that you're stuck in than what you're doing right now. Or if you are, uh, I don't care enough about you to be willing to go through the pain of an unpleasant conversation. Either it's saying, I don't think you're capable with God's help of growth, or it's saying, I don't care enough about you to want you to grow. It's just an absolute violation of what's at the heart of God's plan for community between men and women. Uh, if you don't offer admonishment when it's needed, it's a form of hostility. All right, when is admonishment needed? When someone is overcome or stuck, when someone is caught. And then what do I do when admonishment is needed? Galatians 6.1 says, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You go to them. You don't ignore it. 
Uh, you don't gossip about it. You don't get superior over it. You go to the person in love. Now, who ought to do this? Uh, who should be giving this warning? Paul says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly help them back onto the right path. He doesn't say pastors. He doesn't say elders. He doesn't say teachers. You who are spiritual. And there's nothing magical about this phrase. It simply means you who have the spirit, you who are sincerely seeking to allow the Holy Spirit to have influence in your life. And I imagine that's you. Now, if you're struggling with a spirit of spirit superiority or judgmentalism or something like that, you shouldn't be the one giving the warning. But if you can honestly, sincerely say, and it would be confirmed by spiritually mature people around you, that you sincerely seek to allow the Holy Spirit to have influence in your life, then it's your job to give the warning. Just don't do it apart from asking the Spirit for help, uh, spending time in prayer, and then being sensitive to the Spirit's leadings. And I want to say a special word here to you if you're a small group leader at Blue Oaks. Uh, admonishment is absolutely essential. We will not grow into Christ-centered living apart from it. And you won't get much help in our society. Uh, you don't even get much help on this one from the church at large uh, because the church has really drifted on this one. Uh, you don't really hear much about this. If it's going to happen in this church, uh, mostly it's going to happen in small groups. So if you're a group leader, I just wanna challenge you on this. If you don't model this, talk about this, study this, receive it openly, lead into it, you're denying the people in your care an indispensable gift for their growth. Now that brings me to the next very important question. How do we carry it out? How do we carry out an admonishment, a stern warning? I'm gonna go through four different ways that we can carry it out, four aspects to admonishment. And the first one Paul mentions is gentleness. Admonish with gentleness. Uh, you should restore that person gently. Admonish with gentleness. Uh, use a scalpel, not a machete. Uh, use questions. And they can be helpful. Uh, like if there's someone that needs a warning, go to them and begin by saying, you know, I have something I'd like to point out that you say or that you do that I think will help you. Uh, can I tell you about it? Use something like that because very often people will respond much more openly, uh, much more constructively to admonishment if they give their permission for it first and they know what's coming. And you let them know your heart is not to attack them. Uh, now, if your heart is to attack them, don't do it. But if you can say it sincerely, uh, you just go to them. I have a concern with something you say or do. Uh, can I talk to you about it? Or there's a phrase that we use sometimes, help me understand this. In other words, you're saying, uh, this is what I see. This is my concern. Maybe there's a missing piece that I'm not aware of. So uh, I don't want to make any assumptions here. Help me understand uh, this is a way of raising the concern real calmly without automatically blaming. Paul says this is part of why this is a test for our maturity. Uh, when we're involved in this, we're involved in a kind of spiritual surgery. And spiritual surgery re requires some precision. Uh, you need to cut just enough uh, to do it constructively, but not so much that it gets destructive. Um, so Paul says, do it gently. 
do it with a, a careful spirit. But then there's a second way in which admonishment must be done, and it's the counterpart. Admonish gently, but then admonish with truth. Admonish with the whole truth. Uh, now, when people go to take an oath in court, or at least this is always the way it's done in movies, they put their hand on the Bible and they're asked, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I think what happens for many of us is we shrink back from telling the whole truth that needs to be told. And in most cases where admonishment is difficult, this is a game changer. When you admonish someone, uh, you will be tempted in that moment to tell part of the truth, but then to shrink back from telling the whole truth. And there's an idea when it comes to this, it's called uh, sharing the last 10%. Uh, There will be the last 10% that is the hardest thing to say, but it's the thing that most needs to get said. And most of the effectiveness of the admonishment rests on whether or not in that moment you have the courage to say the whole truth. Why do we hold back from that? Well, I'll tell you what I think is the reason, and it's in Titus 2.15. This is what Paul says. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Don't let anyone disregard what you say, Titus. Don't hold back because you're concerned about what people think about you. I think the number one reason we shrink back from telling the whole truth is fear. Uh, Maybe they won't like me. Maybe they'll think I'm wrong. Maybe I am. Uh, Maybe they'll think I'm trying to act superior. Uh, Maybe it'll be unpleasant. As long as my primary goal is to make sure no one disapproves of me, I'll never do it well. If I'm not willing to run that risk, I might as well quit now. Maybe you're a group leader and there's someone in your group who talks too much uh, because there are these kinds of people in the world. Uh, And other people in the group pressure you because you're the leader. You know, come on leader, do something. You'll be tempted to just kind of tell the truth. You know, I don't think our small group went really well last week. We have some new people in it. Uh, We should let them talk more. We should be better listeners. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. It's not clear what the problem is and who has the problem. The whole truth would be, I'm concerned for you and I'm concerned for our group. You're talking too much and you're not listening well. And I'm not sure that you're reading the group well either. I'm not sure you're, uh, you realize the effect that you're monopolizing the conversation has on other people. And I wanna talk to you about that. Uh, I think that you can do better and I wanna help you uh, to think about how, what, how that might uh, change in your life. Now that's the whole truth. And I'll give you another piece of guidance while we're on this. Uh, when you tell someone the whole truth, there will be tension. Uh, Very rarely will the other person say, uh, man, I'm so glad you told me that I'm talking too much because I thought maybe I was, but I just wasn't sure. So that's very helpful. Uh, Let me tell you why. I'd really like to talk about this for a while. (laughs) Uh, When you tell the whole truth, there will be tension. Uh, Don't relieve that tension prematurely. Uh, I had a situation where I had to sit down with someone and tell them a difficult truth recently. And we just sat there for a few seconds. And the person's response was, you know, I think that's true. 
And I had to fight my initial tendency. Like my first tendency in that moment was to say, well, I'm glad to hear that you say, you know, say that. I'm, I'm so glad we had this talk and to kind of stop the tension, to kind of let them off the hook. And I had to fight myself and say, there's still more tension here and I need to just be quiet and let them sit in it because there's more work that needs to get done. Tension can be a very powerful way for people to be motivated to do uh, self-examination and to change. While they're making their way toward clarity and insight, tension can be a really good thing. So don't release it too soon. All right, admonish with the whole truth that the person needs to hear. Uh, be gentle with it, but don't just tell the truth. Tell the whole truth. And then there's a third way in which admonishment needs to be done. Admonish with humility. And this is so important. Uh, this is why Paul says what he does when he, he's writing to the church at Galatia. Um, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And he says in verse 3, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I think the number one criteria perhaps for someone to effectively give a stern warning is you'd better be in touch with your own wrongdoing, your own depravity. Any spirit of self-righteousness or pride or spiritual superiority will just do damage. Uh, it'll just do damage. So be in touch with your own wrongdoing. If when you go to uh, warn someone, if you can say sincerely, you know, I'm capable of this. Given the right circumstances, you know, I'm in touch enough with my own capacity for sin to know I'd be capable of this and worse than this because I know my own darkness better than I know anyone else's. If you can't say that, if there's a kind of uh, twisted spirit of joy, which I'm capable of, if there's that spirit in you, you'd better back off. Uh, you'd better do some more uh, work between you and God first. Admonishment has to be done with humility. When we do Matthew 18, you know, we're saying we've got conflict and that's why I need to come to you. When we do Galatians 6, we're saying, I think you have a problem. And the potential for self-righteousness is so great. That's why it requires enormous humility. Galatians 6 takes all the skill of Matthew 18 plus enormous humility. And then there's a fourth way in which admonishment needs to be carried out. Admonish with patience. Paul says in Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Sometimes admonishment gets short-circuited because we're an impatient people. You know, transform now, we think. You know, I told you how to change, so get on with it. And we expect people to get it overnight. You can't FedEx admonishment. It's not an overnight delivery deal. Uh, generally, there's a connection with problems and healing. Uh, the deeper a problem goes, uh, those are the ones that people get caught in or stuck in the longer the healing process, the longer it takes to see it, to acknowledge it, and to begin to change. I think of a situation where admonishment happened recently, and the person that gave the warning had one conversation, and then was very frustrated because the person didn't change overnight, and was ready pretty much to write them off. So here's the deal. How patient is God with you? 
if God is that patient with you, don't you think you can show someone patience? Don't you think you can bear with someone else? And if you're willing to do that, to admonish with gentleness and with truth and with humility and with patience, I mean, someone's life is going to be transformed. You hold in your hands a gift that another person desperately needs. And God may want to use you to bring about significant change in another person's life. And maybe you know exactly who that person is. God may have brought them to your mind already. You need to make a decision that you're going to give them a warning this week. You're in a position to do this. And so I'm asking you today, I'm challenging you. Will you love them enough? Will you be submitted before God enough to pray and to think about how to do it wisely and to go to the person who Jesus died for, who maybe is a part of this community, and say to them, can you help me understand something? I have a concern with something you say or do. Can I tell you about it? Maybe you've received this from others. I know I have. Uh, maybe you're going to receive it soon. Maybe sometime today after this message. You know, the phone may ring tonight or this week with someone who wants to set up an appointment with you to do Galatians 6. Will you receive it with openness? Will you have the kind of courage and character not to get defensive and not to be crushed? Remember, it's not your worth that's at stake. I mean, that was resolved on the cross a long time ago. It's not your worth. It's your growth that's at stake. Well, for us as a church, this is one of the ultimate tests. And if we can master this, it will really be true what Paul said so long ago in Ephesians 4.16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I think we can do this. I really do. All right, let me pray for you and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, would you help us and give us wisdom this week as we admonish one another? God, help us to see uh, the relationships that we have and where someone might be stuck or overcome by some sin and help us to love them enough to confront them on it. Uh, help us help us to do it wisely. Help us to do it uh, with gentleness and tell the whole truth and uh, to be sincere, um, but to be humble and respectful and to do it with grace. And I pray, God, that we as a church would grow in maturity in this regard to the point where um, we see our lives being conformed to uh, the life of Christ we actually are becoming more Christ-centered in our living because we're willing to uh, correct one another. We're willing to admonish one another. We're willing to warn one another and help each other to grow in Christ-centered living. God, would you help us in this? And we look forward to what you're gonna do. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.